One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat. Um, Sam... Interesting anecdote I meant to tell you the other day. Yeah, go ahead. When I went to see Hampstead with my mum, it was at the Odeon in Kingston, and you know they have on their name tags their name and then their favourite film. Yeah. The guy who took our tickets, favourite film was Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. And how did what did that make you, how did you feel about him? It just made me, like, favourite film? What, what did he look like? What else did he look I like? I think he was, like, he seemed like a nice guy. I imagine he's a bit of a, a, jolly, a jolly guy, a yeah. character. Yeah. But, like, uh, how much can you love movies if that is your favorite film? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's a bit of a dumb choice, Didn't isn't that it? movie even disappoint the, like, hardcore fans who basically got the film made in the first place, like the internet weirdos? Yeah, apart from him. Apart from him, apparently. Maybe he was the guy who suggested the um, motherfucking snakes in this motherfucking plane line. Yeah, well, actually, that probably would make it your favorite film because you, like, you basically got Samuel Jackson to, uh, to do what you want. Do what is, you want? That's everyone's dream. It is. But anyway, Sam, what is this podcast about? That's a good question. I'm going to describe the premise of the podcast to you now. It's a podcast all about web-slinging wall-crawler Spider-Man. don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, of course, he's really a young photographer called Danny Moran. Danny is asked by his boss, J. Jenner Jameson, to look after a Chinese industrialist called Minglo Chan, who harbors secrets about Mao Zedong and has fled China. Danny and his arachnid alter ego must protect Min from an evil American businessman who hopes to win a contract with the Chinese government to build a power plant which is worth a billion dollars. That's the contract, not the plant. Uh, maybe the plant <laughs> is also worth a billion dollars, I'm not sure. A marine called Professor Dent crops up at one point and Spider-Man has to protect him because he's needed to testify on Min Lo Chan's behalf. There's a bit, it's a kind of like legal uh, and business thriller. Is what I would be saying. If this was a adaptation of the 1978 film Spider-Man, The Dragon's Challenge, featuring a young Ted Danson, no less. Instead, it's just a podcast in which you talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, a superhero who doesn't fuck with Chairman Mao under any circumstances, Danny Moran. Hello, hello. So this week it's all about Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can, uh-huh. spins a web any size, catches thieves, just like flies, look out! Oh, Here what? comes Film Chat's review of Spider-Man: Homecoming. So yeah, so Great. we're reviewing Spider-Man: Homecoming, the latest reboot of the iconic character. This time, played by the breakout star of Locke, Tom Holland. <laughs> Plus, we reestablish our woke credentials by talking about Mike Lee's upcoming film about the Peterloo massacre. Discuss the epic filming conditions for the epic-sounding new film by director of the epic film *Embrace of the Serpent*, and in our most highbrow segment yet. We discuss King of Mocap, Andy Serkis's fucking life. Not his fucking life, but his <laughs> life around fucking. Yeah. All of which should leave me just enough time to perform my latest impression. Andy Murray playing Benicio Del Toro's part in a remake of The Usual Suspects. 
I mean, the case is that the cocksucker line? <laughs> yeah. Can we hear, hear it one more time? Do another reading of it. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, uh, it was a good march. I was doing some good tennis. Uh, you know. Yeah. He's very, very low key guy, isn't he, Murray? He is. He's very chilled out. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Woo films, films that star Peter Fitch, films by David Lynch, films short, films six hours long. We've got films up to your gills with films, 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 movies. Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun. Olivia Waring, I would like to give a personal thanks to Olivia for providing us with some material for the correspondence section. Without you... This would just be total dead air. Like, you know, just a period of uh, silence. It's the sound of tumbleweeds. Just the sound of tumbleweeds, if either of us could have been bothered to edit it in. But now we don't need to, because Olivia sent us a message. The message is as follows. Hmm, this is very odd. And she's linked us to a story in The Sun about Andy Serkis. Andy gave one of those, like, Q&A interviews to The Guardian, you know, where they have, like, a bunch of quick-fire, no, sure. no, no-context questions. And the son has brought together two of his answers into a news story in a way that makes him sound like a complete stranger. It's just a very, very odd man. So the first thing is that his greatest shame uh, or most unappealing habit is that uh, he doesn't shower every day. Most unappealing habit, not showering every day because I don't have the time. He's too busy. He's too busy. He's he's in the um, Imaginarium. He's uh, playing Godzilla, he's, he's playing an ape, circus. he's playing a tiger, he's playing a bear, you know. Yeah, and none of those things shower. He's do, he's exactly. Like, he's a method, he's being a method animal. So he licks himself, but he does not shower. But one of the other questions uh, is the rather personal inquiry, how often do you have sex? To which Andy replies, four or five times a day. Bloody hell. And that's a lot. That guy fucks. That guy does fuck a lot. Obviously, in the context of the other answer, it makes you wonder, like, how do you have time to do that? It's kind of gross, though, right? Because he must have built a bit of a sweat boning his wife. He gets into his grey leotard, yeah. plays a Caesar or whatever all day, doesn't shower. What's the BO situation there, you know? Yeah. Circus. Just factor in some more time for... Um... What about the, the poor other guys who play in all those other rapes, all, yeah, in, yeah. all in their own leotards, and Ugh. they're fastidiously washing and cleaning themselves on a daily basis like most humans do? <laughs> And circus stinks of very recent fucking all the time, because he's all. It's how far can you be from having just had sex if you're like, if it's that frequent? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how many hours do you normally spend awake in a day? Like eight. Well, like eight. Eighteen. <laughs> so if he's fucking five times a day, that's like once every like three hours, three and a half three hours. And a half hours, like. Yeah. So I he's only want... ever like a hundred minutes away from, <laughs> <laughs> from his next sex session or something. <laughs> If he's not washing, then every time you encounter him, he had sex three hours ago. <laughs> do, you, do you think that's why he only does motion capture roles these days? Because he just hasn't got time for hair and makeup. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's too busy making love to his uh, his wife. 
They do require probably the least prep, right? You just hop into your Leo. Yeah, exactly. As he probably calls it. <laughs> he's got like a cool nickname for Do you life. think that he's actually been having sex while doing some mocap performances, but they just didn't, because his wife didn't have a leotard on, they didn't pick up on the cameras. Yeah, and they animated the, they animated the rest. <laughs> they animated the rest. He could probably get sucked off, <laughs> and he, he could still do it. He probably has. And he probably has, because like, the computer works around it. Yeah. All you need to make sure is that whoever is, well, presumably his wife. His wife, if, Lorraine. If his wife, wife Lorraine, is going down on him while he's shooting a scene, the only thing you need to make sure is that she doesn't have any of those little balls on her. Because then the camera would, then it would end up in the animation. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to make sure that she hasn't accidentally put any of those little uh, motion tracking. Because it's all infrared anyway. So, you know what I mean? Just not blocking any shots. No, no, no. That's exactly. What I mean. Yeah. Well, this is going to... I can't watch War of the Planet of the Apes in the same light these oh, days. I'm just not, knowing how much weird. sex he's had. How, yeah. How drained his balls are in every scene. When I, when I go to see Black Panther and he's in that playing Ulysses Claw. Yeah. I'm just going to be thinking about his, like, the fact that he's sort of <laughs> dripping with sweat and stinks of, you know, semen. I mean, is four or five on average? Is it like one day is like 20, next day's one, next you know? Day, yeah. <laughs> 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 That's an average. They have to shorten the answers down in order to fit into the kind of snappy format. He yeah, probably yeah. went on. He probably elaborated. Four, five, six, seven. Four, five, six, you know. <laughs> Nine, 20. Yes. Okay. This 25 is how, my birthday. Four times a day, but it's like this. On Monday, I fuck 25 times. And then, like, I don't have sex for a month. So that's... <laughs> that's, well, that's only once a day. <laughs> I, I fuck 25 times in one day All right, every Monday on saints days I fuck 50 times and then I don't have any sex otherwise so that evens out god I mean what an animal what a, what an animal what fitting fitting sense. fitting given yeah that's why he's so good at playing animals because yeah. he's such a beast we're waiting for his greatest role as a rabbit that's gonna he's gonna or like a bonobo I don't know if he's played... I know he's played eight, so I don't know if he's yeah. played a bonobo or, chimpanzee. Or bacteria. <laughs> As an amoeba. Um, yeah. Uh, I think we've squeezed some good content out of that hilarious Andy sex story. Well, anyway, Andy, hope you're okay. You've probably just had sex if you're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Statistically speaking, you probably would have just had sex. Hope it was, uh, hope it was good. Hope you had a good one. <laughs> Big fan. <laughs> Big fan. I used to work for you. Yeah, if you ever encounter him, you should ask him about was when he had sex three hours ago. Max, yeah. how recently did you just fuck? Yeah, exactly. <sighs> but don't know. don't shake his hand though. <laughs> <laughs> I I certainly won't if I ever meet him. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. So one of my favourite films of last year was Embrace of the Serpent. It was awesome. You should all watch it. It's like if Alejandro G. Inarito was like tanted and good. Yeah, fuck that guy. Like epic, awesome movie, which actually has a lot to say about stuff. And that one was all about how the rubber trade decimated the indigenous population in the Amazon. And he has been hard at work on his next film called Birds of Passage. Uh, it sounds equally epic. The film is shot in the La Guajá. Is that how you pronounce it? Whatever you... You know what, Danny? This Whenever. is our podcast. Any pronunciation is correct. I'm this is go, our world. Exactly. I'm going to go for La Guajira Desert in northern Colombia. And it tells the story of an indigenous Wayu family throughout the smuggling and cannabis boom of the 1970s. About filming there, he said, The desert is a place where very few films have been shot before and definitely not a whole feature film. 
It was a major production. We had thousands of extras, a large crew. It's an epic story. We have never attempted something so complex before. It demanded a lot from everyone. It's a genre film, a noir, but also a Greek tragedy, a western. It's also a Gabriel Garcia Marquez tale in a way. It's definitely a film that I haven't seen before. We're not trying to redo anything. I haven't seen it before. I haven't seen it before. I've made it, but I haven't seen it before. And apparently it's going to be released next year. I love that having made a film in the middle of the Amazon desert, where there was obviously no infrastructure in place to make a film, and it was like shot in a language that no one spoke for years. He's like, eh, that was a bit too easy, so I'll make one even more obscure tribe. Yeah. Even more difficult filming conditions. What an he, epic dude. Yeah, he's obviously, he's like an extreme sports guy, but a filmmaker, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like the next one to be shot, like in the middle of water rapids or like at the summit of Mount Everest. I mean, they've never made an entire feature film here before. They've never made a film on the moon before. They've never made a film on the moon before. But I'm going to go up with it in, in, in a hot air balloon. I'm just going to put a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of fuel in it. This is insane, like <laughs> Jules Verne esque sort of Victorian <laughs> explorer. Make a film at the center of the earth. Yeah, it's cool. I like, um, I don't know if this is going to be a trope throughout all his films. Mm hmm of just telling stories about cultures that have been somewhat lost to the mists of history because white settlers just decimated the population and whatever culture existed was just lost to the history books. That's yeah. what kind of what Embrace of the Serpent's about because the focus of that film, this German scientist, his diaries are the only record of that population. And it's felt like, you know, he's doing almost a kind of public service by making these films. I don't know, history's a whitewash, I guess. Yeah, it's like National Geographic or something, but an awesome movie. But an awesome movie. Yeah, he is an awesome director. I'm just going by this. All his other films might be garbage. I don't care. The average, the Embrace of the was so high. He even made like 20 terrible films. It's it's still, average, it still averages still. out as like 95%. Yeah, I'd like to see that movie. I mean, after you uh, gave it a very solid review and I failed to check it out, but I should do so. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, another acclaimed director, people like Mike Lee. Um, I'm a big fan. One of my sort of disqualifying ignorance facts about me for doing this podcast is that I don't think I've ever seen a Mike Lee film. Oh my God. I've seen about 10 minutes of the Vera, what's that called? Vera Drake. Vera Drake. Yeah. Uh, when that was on TV once, and I just caught the very end of it, and it looked like the entire film was just like <laughs> people silently sitting in rooms, like not speaking to each other and being really sad. But I understand that was like you know, due to the events of the movie leading up to a sad moment. Yeah. It's... Not, not like, representative of, like, the entire sort of <laughs> running length of the film. But I do, I want, to, I do want to see his movies. I kind of want to see Happy Go Lucky. Apparently that was, like, a cheery one. And I also would like to see the other sad ones as well. <laughs> uh, but he's got a new one on the way. And the Empire story about this uh, mentions that he tends to keep his projects quite secret, and this is no exception. But we do know that it is going to be about the Peterloo Massacre and that it's going to have Maxine Peake in it. Uh, the Pizza Massacre was an event that happened in 1819, a very sort of iconic event in the labor movement. There were a large group of protesters in Manchester who were uh, protesting in, in the midst of a big depression in the country. They were attacked by the army. A bunch of them were killed and hundreds of them were injured. 
and uh, it was a very it was a big deal and apparently it led to the creation of the manchester guardian the paper that became today's guardian but yeah it sounds cool like he hasn't done a lot of like historical epic type things right his tends to do sort of urban uh yeah well every once in a while he does like mainly focus on people though not events like mr turner is a kind of period piece and and, uh, topsy-turvy is all about um gilbert and sullivan sullivan writing um mikado is that a thing they did yes yeah the mikado the mikado it's all about them doing that but uh yeah i don't know about historical events i think that's a new area for him but maxine peaks a bit of a sort of firebrand liberal so she seems like a good fit for um no she's great and a mancunian a communist even Red, was, red, uh, uh, red Maxine. She was turning up in uh, some of Labour's uh, videos that they uh, were using to promote the best actress this country for fucking produced. Fucking actress, lover. Yeah, I'm, it sounds like a really cool idea for a movie. I was thinking about it, like how many British period films are there with working class characters, or work, or the focus is working class people, which aren't Dickens adaptations, and I probably like maybe like a couple that Ken Loach has made, and uh, I think there's something very true of british cinema we've got this kind of whole like heritage cinema aspect of it when it's very conservative yeah and yeah and it really fetishizes sovereignty and it's one of the kind of peculiar things about the british identity is now we've kind of got a revolution out quite early in terms of other european powers like when was cromwell like like hundreds of years before the the french revolution or whatever and then we like brought the monarchy back and it's kind of this weird sort of like we're a democracy but we love the queen kind of like really odd thing and I think it's a case like the heritage cinema thing is an example of how art is like a vessel for kind of bad ideas in some respects. And like books can reflect attitudes of the time, which are quite problematic. And then films, quite recent films, can just like adapt them and not comment on them yeah, in yeah, a way yeah. which is really problematic. In the sort of way that like, um, there isn't a film, but something that kind of really turns me off like Downton Abbey is that it's got the real kind of like fetishizes the class system and it just like conflates like fiction with history. The past was just sort of jolly time. Everyone hats and yeah, upstairs, downstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really it's like, this was like a horrific embarrassment. Yeah. So it's cool that there's a film with, you know, a period film about working class characters. And you know, a film it's a rarity. that's brave enough to portray the British state as the enemy. Yeah, absolutely. Because usually these movies have like, well, we'll, we'll see how it turns out. But there's, there's a lot of movies about... Um, that feature kind of posh, evil English bureaucrats, but they tend to be counterbalanced by like nice, nice posh, posh people. Yeah, yeah. So that like the problem is not the class system or the empire or something like that. It's that some of the people who are implementing it were rotters, and and some of them were goodies. Yeah, yeah. It's that sort of thing like um, period dramas, which don't actually comment on the period at all. It's just like you're saying, some sort of morality play about goodies versus baddies. I mean, it's yeah. like what's so good about Gossip Park is that it kind of really skewers the class system in a very effective way, in a way that no Merchant Ivory movie ever attempted to, because yeah. they're like are too busy with people just like wandering about a pond or whatever. You know, it's like yeah, <laughs> there's something a bit like I mean, it's all it's a bit like the sort of modern phenomenon of Boris Johnson, you know, where it's the just things uh, that people find a bit silly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are also deeply problematic aspects of society that should be torn down. Yeah, yeah. but it's like, but because it's sort of inured to, it because it seems kind of cute, yeah, and yeah. so you don't like. It doesn't seem like it's a problem. I mean, it'd be interesting to look at Dunkirk from uh, this kind of perspective. The movie is about to come out, Christopher Nolan's film. I mean, the war movies tend to be quite conservative, anyway. But like, I imagine it'll be another parade of posh Brits doing their best kind of stuff, doing their bloody best. Well, yeah, you know, like the uh, the, the posh officers and the good old lads and the 
you know oh, all right sarge what should we do now yeah, <laughs> yeah. and they're all just working i'll miss together. me old betsy at home yeah, never yeah, yeah, never yeah. you mind we'll get you home right yeah exactly that sort exactly. of thing and uh, that's obviously that is quite reactionary yeah, there's there 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 aren't that many movies that are, are willing to uh, be very critical of the state, um, particularly in the past, maybe. So yeah, so like so anyway, anyway, <laughs> anyway it's a very roundabout way of saying that it will be refreshing to uh, see see the whole thing taken from a different angle. Absolutely, Mike Lee, and Mike Lee best fucking director this country's ever bloody produced. Maxine P, best fucking actress. Jez, we can. PM. <laughs> oh, Jeremy Corbyn. May's got to go, and also all of her friends. Make July the end of May. Sam and Danny both watched a film, and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak, or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat Okay, Blockbuster season rumbles on, and we got one of the big ones of the year. Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man's back. What? Uh, I know you missed him. He's not been around since The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is like back in like 2014 or something like that. Oh, it's been three years. And then uh, he was rebooted. So this is the third incarnation of Spider-Man in like less than 20 years. They are churning through them, the Spider-Man. And this one is the uh, young Tom Holland, British actor, doing quite a convincing Queen's accent, who cropped up in Captain America Civil War. All the nerds jizzed their pants at the sight of uh, the arrival of Spider-Man and that. Now he's got his own movie. And the title kind of refers to the fact that he, the property is back with Marvel rather than being sold to Sony like it was back when uh, Marvel didn't have any money and they were just trying to, like, you know, make good deals. The plot involves a very young Spider-Man. He's still at high school. He's just trying to figure his shit out. You know, like he's interested in girls and he's trying to get his schoolwork done, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And at the same time, he is keen to prove himself to his mentor, Tony Stark, played by Iron Man. (laughs) (laughs) Played by Iron Man himself, Robert Downey Jr. (laughs) The character of Tony Stark, played by Iron Man himself, Robert Downey Jr., uh, having been uh, used by him in uh, Captain America Civil War, and now he wants to join the Avengers properly, but Stark is keeping him at arm's length. And here is a scene of him chatting to his uh, sort of friendly, cuddly friend uh, called Ned, um, and it's been his bedroom. You're the Spider-Man from YouTube. I'm not. You were on the ceiling. What was it? Ned, what are you doing in my room? Well, let me in. You said we're going to finish a Death Star. She doesn't know. Nobody knows. Well, I mean, Mr. Stark knows because he made my suit, but that's it. Well, Tony Stark made you that? Are you an Avenger? Yeah, basically. <gasps> you can't tell anybody about this. Gotta keep it a secret. A secret? Why? Because you know what she's like. If she finds out people try and kill me every single night, she's not gonna let me do this anymore. Okay, 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 okay. I'll level with you. I don't think I can keep this a secret. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I can't believe this is happening right now. So, it's an oddity, this film. I mean,. The existence of the movie is a testament to the strangeness of our current landscape where the, the sort of corporate origins of this film and the backroom deals that have resulted in its existence where it's like half a Sony movie, half a Marvel movie tie into the other Marvel films and a reboot and like a sequel and all this kind of stuff. You know, like it's a very weird and complicated setup and all that kind of hangs over it. And I was a little bit nervous that it would suck. But actually, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. 
And even I, I am, and you like like any old shit. But I, like I, any, I like any old you shit. You like any old super no standards. Yeah, <laughs> but even me, a discerning critic like myself, yeah. was won over. I jest, of course. Of course, you have standards. Well, I'm I so think sorry. I think you're both. I'm a little more. You're, ge- you're less more enamored of the whole Marvel thing, but also more enamored of the original Spider-Man movies. I love the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans. So maybe not the third one. So you one. know, this has got a higher bar, higher bar to clear for you. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I think in a way, Spider-Man is. He, I think he is the most popular Marvel character, and there's lots of reasons why that is. And he's the only Marvel superhero that's kind of close to the age of their audience. Yeah. And I think, like, I was reading that he was created as a sort of deliberate opposition to the roster of superheroes they had in the 60s. And it's like the guy that you want to aspire to be. He's the nerdy guy, super earnest. Yeah, he's well, very it's like, lovable. It's like a sort of nerd power fantasy, but in like a benevolent way. Yeah, exactly. And I think the best description of why the film works was by David Ehrlich and I can't do it better than him. So I'm just going to copy his point, which is basically that teen movies or coming of age movies. The themes are all about, you don't know who you are and discovering your identity and navigating the pressures of teenage life kind of gel very well with the kind of superhero origin story. And it's kind of true of the original Spider-Man comic book, which is kind of like a soap opera. And he's trying to like find himself and doesn't know what kind of man he is and that kind of coming of age stuff is all very winning and very honestly played. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. And I think like one of the reasons the movie is successful is because that tie-in stuff to the rest of the Marvel Universe, which felt really forced and lame in Ant-Man, works quite well in this movie to draw a contrast between his life and the rest of the films. There's almost sort of meta aspect to it, where like all the other characters live in. I think the um, director described it as the other Marvel movies are in like the penthouse level, and it's all these like super rich guys all hanging out and they have limitless like financial resources. <laughs> and then this movie takes place at like street level where he's just a kid and he doesn't you know have any money or any like power in his real life. So rather than feeling like an intrusion, they felt like they gelled quite well with where the story was going. That even, even has a nice payoff at the end. Yeah, when the movie's working at its best is when those two aspects kind of gel occasionally kind of kind of ping pongs back between the two of them but then like in the final stretch they kind of come together in a way it's yeah, like oh, it works really well. they know what they're doing yeah it's yeah. all kind of coming together well i think it's like it's in a way it's part of the expectations that are set by the very convoluted and very like sort of like driven by financial interests origins of the film that whenever it pulls off good storytelling like <laughs> good storytelling you're like hey it did a thing that worked and that kind of like haves and have nots dichotomy is quite nicely played out in the villain character the vulture played by michael keaton uh which is another thing about the movie that didn't necessarily sound great on paper like they've worked through all the more famous villains and now they've got a guy who's like an old man who dresses up like a bird uh and then they just cast a guy who had played that recently (laughs) (laughs) in a film like so it didn't you know it didn't seem very propitious but he's both a good villain for the movie. He's got a nice contrast with you know the the other Marvel movie villains who tend to be boring as fuck. Uh, and he's he's also fits well into the mold of Spider-Man villains, which is like people who aren't really that bad, but kind of are led astray by something, yeah. and you know, but are, are kind of okay ultimately. And like Spider-Man is kind of nice to them. Yeah, um, there's a very pleasing like moral clarity to Spider-Man. Yeah, like that being in that in uh, in that nicer uh, moral universe is quite is quite pleasant uh, and the fact that he turns to crime after being shafted by the government doing a deal with tony stark's like mega corporation 
it's quite a nice you know like yeah yeah and I, I almost wish that they'd explored it a little more you know they can't actually make iron man a bad guy but the fact that he is you know a philanthropist rather than an arms dealer now but at the same time like of course he would make some like shady deal with the government so that he makes money out of the cleanup of his like superhero battles or whatever that's like a nice touch yeah and the, the movie starts with that happening and so the first thing you feel in the movie is a certain amount of sympathy for the villain who isn't even that mean like in the first scene you completely you know root for him basically yeah so yeah it was quite it's quite neatly done that way I would say the film, it's like, it's out to like charm you. That seems yeah. to be its main it's doing goal. Marvel. I'm trying to delight you at all times. And um, it's very breezy. I think sometimes almost a bit too breezy. And I guess they're in this position where they can't have Uncle Ben dying again, all this stuff. So it doesn't have the same kind of emotional heft that other Spider-Man, well, the Tobey Maguire ones did. And this, the Andrew Garfield ones sort of tried to. Try to. So I feel like in the later half, there's like a couple of moments which don't quite land because they're just the movie is too flippant for it suddenly to switch into gear. Yeah. But for the most part, it's just so, you know, zips along pretty pacily. I think the action is a bit pedestrian. It like is, the, yeah. And uh, I think that's a general Marvel thing. The exception of the Russo brothers, I think their action sequences are really good. There's like a, just a lack of kind of structure to them. It's a bit of a sort of just kind of throwing at the screen, see what hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, there's not like a sort of succession of beats you know, there's nothing to rival the train sequence from Spider-Man 2, which was like 15 years ago now. Yeah, it's weird. It's like it's like the thing that they poured their time and effort. Like the thing that's brave about the movie is the fact that like there isn't actually that much action and like yeah, it's kind of refreshingly low stakes. It's for refreshingly a... low stakes and it's although it's very pacey in terms of its tone, it's got a very very breezy tone, but it takes its time doing anything. It doesn't feel like they had to put an action scene in every 2 minutes or you were going to get bored. It's much more interested in fulfilling the kind of uh, idea of being this like high school movie about a kid growing up. And that's the main thing that it wants to do. And so because that's successful, the fact that the action is relatively underwhelming feels like, you know, a, a sort of nitpick rather than yeah. like, a huge problem with the movie. Absolutely. And there's a real focus on characters and like and all the supporting parts kind of pop. Yeah, they're and, really they're really good. They're very diverse and they're all very likable. Yeah. And he's cast like a lot of comedians in these kind of roles and that really pays off because uh you know everybody has like a little line and there has been like there's obviously a conscious effort to diversify and it's probably the wokest superhero movie in terms of the diversity of like the gender and the race yeah. of the cast and the thing the thing that's nice about it is that because it's set in a very diverse neighborhood so it wouldn't make sense if they weren't like that yeah you know and like well tell that to lena dunham huh <laughs> well the other spider-man <laughs> movies are white they're white as fuck yeah it's true and and like but you know he's in all those movies he is from queens yeah so it's like rather than seeing the movie as like woke it's like you have to whitewash this movie to yeah not, yeah, yeah. not have a diverse cast basically and we should talk Whatever. about Tom Holland, who is... He's great. He's I think super charming. He's almost so... He's so natural and convincing in this role that it's almost easy to overlook how brilliant he is, I think, because he just fits into it like a glove. And he was great in uh, Captain America Civil War. He's one of the things that people came out of the movie talking about when beforehand it seemed like he was really sort of like stuck onto it unnecessarily. Everyone loved him in it. And uh, I think he's fantastic. Yeah. I think it's an achievement to sell yourself as this awkward kid when he's like super good looking and also really buff. Like he's buff as fuck. And it's, you know, that's Spider-Man buff. The Spider-Man buff. <laughs> so 
Uh, it doesn't really make sense that uh, he would be the unpopular nerd at school, but you know he manages to to do it. And I think I'm just like, I was I was very charmed by all the bits of straightforward comic booky story moments in it. Yeah. And the thing that appeals to me about the Marvel movies when they're working really well, and this sounds like faint praise, but I mean it as like genuine praise, <laughs> is that it evokes the feeling of watching a really good episode of Saturday morning TV, basically. And that the structure of these, the whole franchise, makes everything an episode. They are episodes. The most self-contained kind of movie they can make still feels like an episode in a longer thing. So it's limited in that way. But given that framework, making it feel like you're basically watching a really, really entertaining and tightly put together episode of, you know, TV is like as good as they can do. And it's it's sort of the 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 thing I like about them is when it makes me feel like I'm a kid again watching it. And just having, you know, the scene where he has to meet his girlfriend's dad and it's awkward or like the scene where he's like, he wants to do something foolish and his friend is like, oh no, don't do it, Spidey. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's a good idea. And he's like, I'm going to do it. And it's obviously a bad idea. And I don't know. And all that stuff, like that's just sort of basic functional stuff is all done in a very charming and open hearted way. And it's all enough to make you forget for a second that this is all this sort of Frankenstein's monster of money men in the background. (laughs) And I, I don't know. I thought it was, it just, it just does, does, does a good job. Yeah, super likable, breezy entertainment. Probably made the the best of the superhero movies I've seen this year. Oh yeah, better That's than Logan. True. Logan was shit. Guns Wonder of, Woman was okay. Guns of Galaxy. Guns of Galaxy wasn't very good either. Sucked ass. Um, and yeah, this is the first like, is this the first really good blockbuster of the year? What about Okja or Baby Driver? Oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I guess like they're not mega bucks movies. Oh yeah, that's true. But like of the sort of major, first big franchise studio tent poles. So it's probably the first really good one. Yeah, I recommend it. So last week we reviewed Baby Driver by Edgar Wright, and it's gone on to do good uh, money at the box office. I think of a sequel, but um, something regular listeners of the podcast won't know, or indeed casual listeners, is that um. I'm a close personal friend of Edgar Wright. I know you are as well, Sam. I am. We met him CPS, separately, BFS. and then uh, we both turned up at his party, and we're like, what are you doing here? You know Edgar? Yeah. And like, I know Edgar. And he then... said, what are you doing here? I said, what are you doing here? Yeah. He said, what are you doing here? <laughs> I said, what are you doing here? And, and so on and, and so on. And you said, Edgar invited me. Five hours like, later. Edgar invited me. And you were like, Edgar <laughs> invited me. <laughs> oh, oh, how we laughed. <laughs> Anyway, as, as Edgar invited, sorry, um, being a close personal friend of Edgar's, he showed you me his director's cut of Baby Driver, which had a completely different soundtrack. He had his favorite songs. It was great. It was tightly edited, but unfortunately, due to licensing rights and not clearing it with the label, we had to switch out a bunch of the songs at the last minute for you, the ones you, that ended up in the theatrical cut. Yeah, you've only got so much money on these movies, and some of the some of the tracks that he. He originally wanted. There's some real big, like, there's some big songs. I know that, like, some of the songs that he used in the movie are quite famous, but some of the ones he originally wanted are some, like, they're seriously, like, And just, they run out of money. They're premium, like, they don't come cheap, and unfortunately, Edgar couldn't, couldn't get what he wanted. And, uh, yeah. He had and to set off a queen and stuff, like. Exactly. Garbage like that. Classic garbage. And uh, I guess, like, podcasting is not the greatest forum to share this with you, but that's the only forum we have. So we're going to play you some of the original scenes uh, from the director's car that Edgar ripped me a Blu-ray of. Yeah. 
first off is the opening car chase scene, which, while good in the theatrical cut, was much better yeah. in its original form. So in, in the original song, in the original, sorry. So in the movie, as it was released, he's sitting in the car while uh, John Hamm and his female accomplice and John Bernthal uh, go. I can't remember the name of the woman. I'm not sexist. I just don't remember her name. Sorry. Darling. Darling. Is that yeah? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so they so they go into the bank to to rob it, and he's outside. He's listening to Bell Bottoms by uh, like the John Spencer, Spencer Blues Blues Group, and he's singing along to it. He's mouthing all the words and stuff. Uh, but yeah, originally it was going to be a different song. So let's uh, let's hear what he was originally mouthing the words to. immediately you know that it's much better and when the car chase kicks in yeah it just sinks so perfectly it sinks incredibly it was so well. clumsily done on the theatrical it version. makes you realize that in the original like it doesn't really work yeah yeah like it's only once you've heard it how it's originally supposed to be that you understand how well it goes together so like the next main uh sequence in the movie is when um he's just off to get some coffee he goes down the coffee thing and he's kind of dancing along in the street and uh uh, like things like line up to i can't remember what that song is but things are sort of lining up to it <laughs> yeah well he had to settle for harlem shuffle by bob and earl which oh, was famously sampled in uh, jump around by house of pain and i mean it's okay but you know once you've heard the original song that was supposed to be used which was unfortunately way too expensive i mean well well let's play it and you'll you'll, play, see, you'll what see what i Scouting for girls. I wish I was James Bond. He wishes that he was James Bond. That's what the movie's about. That's the whole That's story the whole of the film. Is he wishes he was James Bond, and he's not. Because James Bond can do what he wants, but this guy's trapped in his world. You know, he's just a driver, isn't he? Yeah. James Bond has a driver. Exactly. He is a driver. That's not as good. So there's another sequence in the film in which it's like the song Tequila, and there's like a, there's a big shootout. Don't want to spoil the circumstances of it, but there's a big shootout. All the guns are kind of synced to the beats of the song. It's pretty fun. I would say it's not bad. But, but it could have been so much better. It could have been much, much better. 
originally it was scored to see this breakout um rap classic uh which I, well you know i mean everyone knows it already but had it been in this movie it really could have uh, gone we'd be singing it we wouldn't be able to escape this we'd all be seeing it everyone would be, 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 be number one in the charts everyone would be seeing it yeah so let's have a little taste of that how that scene would have gone oh. Bridge gang, about to talk, baby. Got like four ounces in the 20 ah. bitch. I'm black. Hey. Really hey. Hey. Like shit, just live this here lifestyle. Oh, yeah. I can't escape from the bottom to the top of my lifestyle. Like that's perfect. That is cinema. That's cinema. You know, it makes you realize that almost nothing else in the film was cinema. And oh, that that would have been what a missed opportunity. It's quite making me quite sad actually doing <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah, it's melancholic. It's a sad experience. What would have been? So the the biggest, probably the biggest missed opportunity, uh, was <laughs> at the end credits of the film. Yeah. So in the movie, the end credits for some reason are the song "Baby Driver" by Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, yeah. But he had a much better. He had a much better original option. Because well, I'm we're close personal friends, as has been established. Yeah, close personal friends. Close okay. personal friends. Uh, and Edgar knows he listens to the podcast. He's listened to some of my jingles, and he sent me a text. He was like, "Sam, do you want to uh, do a song for the end credits of my movie Baby Driver?" I was like, "I don't know, man. I'm kind of busy. Like, I do this podcast every week. I got like a full time job, so like, it's going to be tricky. But maybe I can fit it fit it around my schedule." Uh, and he asked me like how much I would I was going to ask to do it, and I was like, "A million pounds? That's a big movie." <laughs> Yeah, and uh, what? And well, I was like firing. I was like a starting gun. Yeah, highball him. You got a highball. You don't him, want like, to lowball yourself. No, he's a big guy. You know, he's got Jamie Fox in his film. Like these guys are expensive. Yeah. Like he's he can afford. It. He's got deep pockets, and he just said no. He's just like no. What's that about? Idiot. Idiot. But I'd written a song by that time. So, uh, well, so it could have been. We can hear what it could have been. Like I don't know. He had to go summon a golf longer, which he was not happy about. Yeah, there's some stories of him on set like smashing shit like really freaking the fuck it's so angry like I guess they're just cheaper I don't know why he was angry with the end credits on set because it's, it's not really shot on set <laughs> they do him afterwards <laughs> but he just knew he just knew <laughs> just knew it wouldn't be as Every, good it, he was shooting the final scene and he knew what was coming next he was just furious <laughs> stupid, well you would be stupid song, well you will be after you hear your version you had a, the, the proper song yeah so I guess we'll just maybe we'll just play it play us out on that one. Yes, um, thanks so much for listening. Join us next week. We'll be reviewing some new films. I don't know what. Well, I kind of want to go see The Beguiled. Yeah. So uh, because there's some interesting racial politics. I was listening to the podcast Still Processing, the Wesley Morrison Jenna Wortham podcast, uh, and they were talking about it. 
um and it just sounded like some fascinating racial dynamics that you and i can stumble stumble around in clash cool. about and say a bunch of extremely offensive stuff awesome so we're gonna do that is there any other anything else on the horizon does that apes movie come out yet apes war, war of the planet the, the apes one with that like randy randy circus randy, randy circus that guy's constantly fucking all the yeah. time yeah yeah fuck like apes whatever it's called <laughs> horny caesar so yeah so see you then well isn't that wait a second full circle here maybe yeah. i'll cut this out okay but isn't that how the apes win? They just like have a higher rate of uh, birth. Birth, Fuck yeah. Fest in the ape camp. Yeah, they're all fucking all the time. The, the humans aren't fucking as much. No. So thank God for Randy Andy Circus, or the apes wouldn't have like half as many troops. Humans are all incel. Yeah. They all go incel. They read too many, like, they got red pilled and uh, they read too many, you know, uh, MRA forums and they don't fuck. Whereas, like, the apes are. The apes, oh, they fuck. They they fuck. And under the command of Randy Circus, they can do nothing else. Apes <laughs> fucking good. <laughs> That's the trailer line, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. All right. All right. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Give it to me, baby. Give it to me, driver. Give me thrilling action from the mind of Edgar Reiter Give me bangers blasting loud enough to give us all tinnitus Give me tires squealing like a tiny teething infant crying Give me muscle cars and suits and shades and vintage bomber jackets Give me tons of homemade mixtapes Give me lots of iPod classics Give me editing so snappy that I have to wear a neck brace Give me needle drops aplenty Give me exactly one foot chase I want plain old fashioned romance with a kind and lonely waitress I want one scene in a laundromat The rest in other places I want lots of famous actors Give me Jamie Foxx and Spacey I want Ham and James and Bunthal and the Red Hot Chili's bassist I want Buddy and Darling to be canoodling and petting I want scheming and coffee and then eventually bloodletting I want a gunfight in a warehouse where some guns are being sold I want a stunt driving protagonist who's six months old I want one more thing to cap it off Please tell me if it's wrong when the credits roll, please play this song. Use it, use it, use it, Edgar, no other song would work better. Use it, use it, use it, use it, baby would want you to do it. Use it, use it, my song, you mark it. Simon and Garfunkel sucks it. Ed, don't be a dick about it. Your film will be shit without it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.